Okay, welcome to the bi-week edition of Under the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Ulrich, with uh, my partner here, Mr. Sean Williams. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Doing fantastic, Alan. How, how about yourself? <laughs> A win always makes the week better. Uh, you can see yeah. it. You can uh, even see it downtown. I mean, I walk downtown in New Orleans, and you can see it. Yeah, people were willing to talk more about the Saints. Now, LSU won, too. So it was, a you know, people were extra happy. But, you know, when the Saints do well, the city seems to do well. Monday's a lot better. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, as you and I were talking uh, prior to airtime tonight, uh, I think probably the, the thing I'm proudest of with this win is the fact that we had to erase a uh, double-digit deficit, and the team was able to not only do that, but they were also able to to finish the deal. They were able to uh, to close it out, and um, the way that they went about doing that, regardless of the how-fors or the whys or any of that, none of that really makes any difference to me. If it was uh, if it was a Christmas gift, thank you very much. Um, I'll take it every day of the week, and if you want to give me nine more just like it, I'll take each one and every one of them. Uh, this is the National Football League. You never look a gift horse in the mouth. Well, you know, um, we sat here after week one and week two, and we both said, hey, if it wasn't for this play, you know, we could have won this game. If it wasn't for that play, we could have gotten this game. Well, you know what? For a change in the San Diego game, we got those plays that have San Diego fans saying, you know, if it wasn't for the fumble by Melvin Gordon, if it wasn't for the inexplicable drop by Travis Benjamin. And really, when we're talking about, hey, yeah, I mean, and that's that's how they lost games. They lost to the Colts that way. They blew that lead. They lost yeah. to the Chiefs that way. You know, it, it's it's that it's what we were talking about way back in week one and week two, you know, the, the ability to finish, you've got to finish games. And I was watching something uh, the other day. It was a Jim Moore speech when he was still head coach of the saints, I think from 95. And he said, you know, the thing about the NFL is you got to keep battling and battling and battling and bang, something good happens and you take advantage of it. And that's, it turns out to be the difference in the game. And that's basically what you saw. Um, they get the fumble, great play by Ron Bell, gets the fumble, the Saints convert that. Next series, you can see the defense is playing with a lot more emotion. Travis Benjamin catches the ball, they're on top of him, and it looks like, you know, he just dropped the ball, but it looked like he was thinking about switching hands to get it away from the def defense coming in on him, and uh, he just drops it, and we've recovered the fumble, and suddenly now we're a lot more excited, a lot more happy. Score. We got two minutes left. Typical Saints game this season, last season, 2014. The other team has the ball. Two minutes left, one timeout. They're only down by a point. What's going to happen? They're going to march down the field, kick a field goal, win the game. And we're left saying, you know, this is why they lose. They can't finish games and stuff. Um, in this case, we get defense gets back-to-back -back sacks, break up on third down, so it's fourth and 22. 
throw the ball up for grabs. The Saints know where they got to be. They got to beat the sticks. B.W. Webb makes a great break on the ball, picks it off, game over. Uh, that is winning football. That is knowing how to finish a game. And for the most part, that's only outside of John Coons, Mike Carney-like day. That's really all you can <laughs> say about that San Diego game. Well, you know, um, Drew, there's all sorts of rumors flying rampant about Drew being hurt. And I, I, I tend to lean more towards your thought process that this is a very emotional game for Breeze. Uh, it's something that meant a lot to him his first time back in San Diego where his career actually began. Um, and and I think – I was going to say, he did the pregame champ. He did the pregame champ right at the same spot where he tore his uh, labrum in, in 2005. He stood in that same spot. He said a prayer early in the game. Then when he got the, the group together, he gave that impassioned speech about talking about how his dream could have died right here in this field. And, I mean, to me, normally Drew Brees is, you know, ice water in his veins could handle the pressure and things like that. But I think in this game, it was so important that he had to win it that he kind of let his fundamentals and his – the Drew Brees we used to seeing wasn't there. This was somebody pressing. This was somebody trying to make the plays happen because he had to have this win. Um, well, I, only... I, think, I think that maybe what we're seeing before our eyes is what – for lack of a better way of putting it, the finality of the end of his career is starting to sink in on him. He may never play in that San Diego stadium again. He may never do this again. He may never do that again. Uh, for all practical intents and purposes, uh, he'll be in the National Football League for two more years. Uh, well, well course, even uh, if he... I, I believe it'll be for longer than that, uh, but yeah. but as far as on paper, that's that's all he's got left. Well, you know, you play divisional game, you play these divisions every four years. So the next time we play the AFC West will be four years from now, twenty twenty. Okay, now where we play San Diego is you know, the Chargers, I should say is debatable because the schedule makers decide who goes home and who's not. So, yeah, this is his last time in that stadium. Um, then you throw in the ownership issues, the, the, the uh, possibility that the charges may move back to Los Angeles where they started back in the old AFL days, uh, or they go somewhere else or they get a whole new stadium. You're never going to play in, forgive me, I still refer to it as Jack Murphy Stadium, Qualcomm, whatever they call that stadium Qualcomm. now. Qualcomm. Okay. Qualcomm. It's, it will always be Jack Murphy Stadium to me. But, uh, you know, that is the last time he's going to be there. And he knows that. Um, and, and it was important because it was the first time he was back. You know, the last few times we played San Diego, we talked about this last week, the last few times we played San Diego, 2012, they played New Orleans. 2008, they played in London. So that possibility comes into play. So, yeah, I mean, the last time I saw Breeze throw this way was the NFC Championship game. Um, he was not the normal 
sharp Drew Brees, especially when we got to overtime. I've watched that game more than enough times. You can see the passes have a bit more of a wobble to them. They sail a little high. Even the receivers are double, double clutching stuff. You know, so it was never that crisp, clean, you know, this is a machine at work kind of play. And I think that's what I really think that's what was the issue. I don't believe that he was injured. That's always uh, that—that's always a sign of nerves when that ball is wobbling like that. Yeah, yeah, because it that game was so important. He was trying so hard not to make mistakes that you end up making mistakes because you're not playing with the same confidence. Excuse me, that you normally play with, and I, I mean that's sure. just how it looked to me. Absolutely. For all the shortcomings that game had, uh, I think that there were some some very, very uh, positive things to come from it as well. Uh, moving forward, we're coming up on, well, obviously the bye week, but the bye week is going to be followed by a showdown with uh, – Last year's division champs, chumps. Uh, excuse me, did I did I say that wrong? <laughs> Freudian uh, slip. Don't worry, we know what you mean. <laughs> uh, we'll be playing the Carolina Panthers, and uh, all roads lead to Carolina now. And I, I well, think that if we ever had a tailor-made situation for a wounded team. To be going up against the, de- excuse me, the defending division champs, this wouldn't likely be it. Carolina's finding out what it's like to be the hunted, um, and this this happens to Super Bowl participants, especially the ones that lose the Super Bowl. Um, you're not getting the breaks that you got last year. The ball isn't bouncing quite your way. The, uh, the defense isn't quite as good as it was last year. Um, the, the offensive line isn't quite as good as it was. And you start getting injuries that, you know, impact your team. Cam Newton is not the same player he was last year. Uh, he is getting hit a lot more. Teams have had a season to watch him, an offseason to watch him and work on what to do to stop Carolina because when you play somebody who's been in the Super Bowl, they become – your measurement of how good of a team you are. How did we stack up against Carolina? How do we stack up against Denver? How, you know, in the previous years, how do we stack up against Car- uh, Seattle? It, that becomes the measuring stick for every team that plays that Sunday or that Monday or that Thursday against you. So they're going to have a little something extra for you. Sure. Uh, and you saw that with Atlanta. Atlanta was coming at them harder and harder. You saw that with Minnesota. Minnesota just sent guys in after Cam. You know, they totally disregarded the run and went after Cam Newton every time they felt he was coming to pass. And they uh, and you saw that also with Denver. Now, Denver, you know, it's debatable. Uh, I would agree that a couple of them were cheap shots. A couple of them were just physical plays. Um, if you launch yourself into a guy, obviously it's a cheap shot that should have been a penalty. But the point is, you know, they these guys are now sending people in after Cam because they feel if they can get Cam off his game, get Cam nervous, 
get Cam uh, thinking about the hit rather than making a play, now the ball is going to sail on him when he tries to throw. He is going to be looking at the rush more than he'd be looking at um, <clears throat> his receivers opening downfield and so forth. So it's going to be interesting to see. We'll have to see how Carolina bounces back from this performance because I don't think they expected what Atlanta did to him. And we have a week to get healthy, watch them, and try and imitate the things that they did because they still are a good team. Then they're but not. To oh, reiterate, ahead. to reiterate the point that you were just making, if Cam Cush, if <laughs> Cam Newton is involved in concussion protocol, he's not involved in your game. Probably not. Which means that he'll probably have a week off, and then he'll be. Well rested to play us, <laughs> great. But well, well, I I just make that point because uh, you take someone who's not a normal piece of your defensive strategy, and you send him in there and get him isolated one on one with a quarterback. You, you can call it what you want, gamesmanship, game planning, whatever it is, but it's something to be considered. I, I don't well, condone know. it. I, th- I think it's kind of a chicken fill-in-the-blank way of doing things. But um, I, I know I will say this. A hundred times I've seen Cam Newton break the line of scrimmage with that read option and about the one-yard line he pulls up and starts preparing to do his Superman thing, mm-hmm. especially when he's on someone else's home turf. And that lick that he got Sunday, that's been brewing for a while because linebackers are sitting there watching him do these things and saying, please, oh, please, oh, please, would you, would you please do that when you play me? And... <laughs> You know, he pulled up against the wrong one. Well, you know, it's a shame because as much as everybody likes that hit, the first criticism I had for Deion Jones on that hit was wrap up, drive him back because he still got the two points after the hit. If you had wrapped him up and drive him back, then you would have not only jacked him, but you would have kept him from scoring. So that's me. I'm never satisfied. Michael Motti had a had a really good stick on him last year when he did this kind of it's not it wasn't the same play but uh it, it was a lot like it and uh everybody wanted a, a penalty on Motti but hey Motti's playing man well you know here's the here's the hard part I have when it comes to treating Cam Newton as a quarterback rather than a runner when he becomes a runner is, you know, you can hit a running back the way he, these guys, you know, Cam Newton's been hit a few times. You can drive a shoulder into him. You can, you can try and pop them real good, especially when their helmet comes down. Um, and it is a penalty. I'm, I'm not saying it's not, but what happens is quarterbacks get an extra level of protection. You graze the helmet with a hand trying to swipe the ball. It's a rough in the passer. With a guy who, yeah, with a guy who is a running quarterback, which Cam Newton is, 
the officials are going to tend to side with, well, you know what? You're a runner here. You're acting like a runner. So you're not going to get always get the same protection, especially in that read option play, because <clears throat> you can't tell because by, it's by design. You cannot tell until the last second when he pulls that football away, who actually has the ball because it's designed to make the linebackers guess and go after the wrong person. Yeah. Okay. It's no different than running the college option. And the quarterback is coming. Here comes the quarterback. The running back is trailing. Is the quarterback going to pitch it, or is he going to keep it and try and cut inside? That's what the defense is supposed to decide. Well, you run the college option with NFL safety rules for a quarterback. A defensive player is thinking to himself, I can't pop him like I would normally pop a running back because I could get involved. I could get a penalty for roughing the passer. So the officials are going to have to change. The officials change the calls, and you end up having your quarterback who has smaller pads because he needs the smaller shoulder pads to get the arm up to throw. Um, he has smaller pads. He's got the he's got the rib flak protector jacket, but I mean, he's going to take more hits as a runner. And this is why running quarterbacks don't last long in the NFL because they start getting all those hits that a running back takes and defenders start taking advantage of the fact that you've got different kind of padding than a running back would have. So it's kind of a rambling speech, but the point is, you know, Cam's going to start getting some extra shots because defenses are now, defensive coordinators are now saying, Hit that guy like you would hit a running back. Don't treat him like a, corner, a quarterback. Send guys in after well, him. Well, at, in all fairness, when he crosses that line of scrimmage with that ball, he is no Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. But what I'm saying is, even on the read option, where he is holding on to that ball that extra second, the def- defensive coordinators and defenders are saying, hit him like he would be a running back coming through the hole because you don't know if he's going to have that ball or not. So just go That's hit right. him like you would hit the running back on a play-action pass. It's, okay? It seems like a lot of – and God and uh, sponsors, forgive me. <laughs> uh, it seems like some of these Panthers fans and – what have you, they want the best of both worlds. They want to enjoy the fact that Cam is a unique type of quarterback. But then again, when he starts getting these shots, they want those penalized, and, and you, you're not going to be able to have it both ways. Um, now, yeah. let me let me say for the record, I'm, I'm not for the uh, the open season on Cam Newton. That being said, if I'd have had three votes last year for league MVP, I'd have given them all three to Cam Newton. He deserved it. He earned it on the field. And he is ab- he was absolutely the most valuable player in this league last year. Now, that being said, the flamboyant style with which he plays invites a lot of uh, – look at uh, – uh, another example of that would be Odell Beckham Jr. right now. Oh, he, uh, and, the, yeah. 
the the <laughs> revelation that today that he's not having fun anymore. Uh, oh. I'm not even. <laughs> well, Josh I'm Norman. I'm not even going to take that low that low hanging fruit. Well, Josh Norman uh, kind of exposed him a bit, um, and I don't mean that from the standpoint of him not being a good player. I mean that from the standpoint of if you get in Beckham's head, um, he's not going to be as, he's not going to be as effective as a player because he gets frustrated too easily. Um, he. I think he's been reading a bit of his own hype. Um, he uh, absolutely. He has this entitlement mentality, almost that he should be out there just making big plays, and the audience goes wild, and no one should be trying to stop him because that's who they came to see. You know, it's a typical diva type wide receiver, and the problem you have now is okay. You know, he's five ten. Uh, he is very fast. He is very gifted with uh, his hands, his ability to, you know, leap and so forth. But defensive backs are tired of getting beat up on by this guy, getting told basically, you know what? You, uh, you're not, you may make big plays, but you're not going to make them on me today. And they're taking shots. And then you couple that with what we saw in the Giants game – on Kenny Vaccaro with, you know, Vaccaro's not even involved in the play and Beckham comes up behind him and just shoves him, gives him a little cheap shot and he got fined for that. So defensive players are seeing this on film when they're studying the Giants and they're going, you know what? If that's how you want to play this game, it's on, buddy. Let's go. Let's roll. Let's see how this goes. And they are now going after him. And Josh Norman picking him up in the end zone and carrying him like a baby. And throwing him out, basically, you know that that, that that kind of embarrassed him. And you're starting to see the Vikings did it to him last night, where they just started pushing him around and taking him out the game, you know. And he's going to see that every week because defensive coordinators and defensive players know now that if we get into um, get into his head, he can't do anything. He can't hurt us because he's thinking about trying to make a big play uh, rather than just taking what we're giving him and just doing his job. He wants to make the big play, turn around and point at you and go, see, see, I told you you can't cover me today. See? So. I I call this, I call it too much too soon. Um, Odell Beckham, with that catch that he made on Sunday night football and primetime TV against the Cowboys, showed the world what he's capable of doing. And <laughs> I'm sorry, let me interrupt you real quick and then you can finish your point. It was an impressive catch, but you know what? I've seen players make that catch before. I've seen other players do it. It, it was because it was against Dallas. An NFC East team, the Giants, did this. So two major media markets on Sunday Night Football with Al Michaels calling the game, that's why the catch became a big effing deal, you know, and I'm trying to say G-rated, but that's that has always bugged the heck out of me because if this was the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Cleveland Browns and Alan Hearns did that catch, that same catch against Joe Hayden for the Browns, and it was on a regional telecast on CBS – 
nobody would have seen it, or you might have saw it in highlights as, oh, nice catch. But it's because of who it was, what team they did it against, and what network they did it on when it came out. It became a big, big deal. Like, this is just an unbelievable catch. That's my rant. Go ahead. <laughs> Angry much? <laughs> oh, I just, I, you know, this is my, that was my, uh, my thing a couple weeks ago. You know, there's more to the NFL than the NFC yeah. East. And yeah, that's just, and the, I agree. And the New England Patriots that, you know, uh, they, NBC ticked me off last week. Uh, I mean, Sunday night where they asked Tony Dungy and uh, Rodney Hampton, you know, what's the team to beat right now? Oh, the New England Patriots when Tom Brady's back. I'm like, uh, hello. The Denver Broncos are for undefeated. They're the defending Super Bowl champs. There's no drop-off without Manning. You know, uh, this team is still a good team. But Absolutely. whatever. Whatever. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry. It's, it, it's, all, it's all about the media market. Well, uh, I, I'll use that to, uh, to springboard into one of our questions of the week. My... Uh, let me pull it up really quick here. Uh, a buddy of mine named Chris Van. He, uh, oh, well, here we go. What's know who we drafted in the cool. first round? Uh, no, he got that one, but he, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, here we go. He wants to, and, and, I earmarked this one just especially for you because I know you like expounding on this particular uh, subject matter. I expound on everything. <laughs> People are like, oh, God, dang, this guy talks a lot. Go ahead. <laughs> now, uh, why isn't Anthony being used? This is like the second or third game he's played less than 10% of the game after starting all last year. And if it's a scheme issue, would would they or have they considered a trade? Well, you can't trade him. He's your first-round draft pick. Um, okay. I say that Mark uh, Mark Anthony, no, he's with Cleopatra. Um, Stephon Anthony is – is uh, sorry – Stephon Anthony is on what I call the Mark Fields uh, learning curve right now. Um, he is a talented linebacker, okay? He is having a hard time with the mental aspects of the game. And that's not to say, because I know where this is going to go, that's not to say he's not getting good coaching. Coaching is not the problem with Anthony. The problem with Anthony is his ability to read and process information quickly. Okay. The game he played the most in so far this season was the Atlanta Falcons game. It also happened to be the worst game this defense has played all season. The two are related. Uh, I talked about it last week with on that fourth and one bootleg that uh, Matt Ryan ran. And if we get off the field right there, or we get the we get the ball back right there, we have a chance to move and either close the gap to I think I think within three points. I think it was at, at that point yeah. of the game. Um, 
we either get a chance to close it within three points or we at least prevent Atlanta from scoring uh, because I think they were no man's land, which is why they went for it on fourth and one. Yeah. So Ryan comes out on a bootleg. The back comes out, and I think it was Freeman. I'm almost positive it was Freeman. Anyway, the back comes out behind behind the linebacker. Anthony is now in position. He is in no man's land. It's like a two-on-one deal. His first mistake was when he saw the back snaking out the backfield, you're still within that five-yard chuck rule where you can touch the guy. If he would have just shoved the guy right there, chucked him right there to disrupt the timing of the play, and if you're lucky, he falls down, you've now messed up where um, – where Ryan wants to go with the football. So Ryan's going to have to hold it a little bit longer and probably throw it away. Okay? What Anthony does instead is he lets the back come out the back door, get behind him. He's in no man land, like a two-on-one drill in basketball. So he decides to go after Ryan. Now, he's not quick enough to get to Ryan where Ryan is, and Ryan just sees him coming, flips it up over over Anthony's head, it goes right to the back, and of course, it says nobody back there because that was his responsibility. The back takes off, goes all the way down to, I think, inside the five yard line, and Atlanta scores another play later. And it's now, I think it was 35 14 at that point, maybe even worse. I don't remember. Uh, I, I, I have not watched that game again. I have no intention to ever watch that game again. But regardless, Atlanta scores on the next, next play. That was a microcosm of the problems Anthony is having. Anthony is not reading his keys quickly enough. He's not processing information quickly enough. So that second of hesitation is exposing the defense because defense is designed for players to take certain responsibilities, especially if you're playing, I think, the Fal- against the Falcons, the Saints played a lot of cover two or cover three formations. I don't remember exactly, but I know they were trying to protect the, defend, the defensive backs and keep everything in front of them, which just made it that much easier for Atlanta just to march on down the field. Um, he, he's missing cutback runs. He's, he, there's a lot of things that he is missing. And if you noticed, that, tw- that game against the Falcons resembled a lot of like the games that we saw last year with Rob Ryan on defense where people out of position – and big plays are happening on little simple things, little simple plays. And that's, to me, Anthony's a big reason for that. He's not the only reason, but he's a big reason for that. So until he shows that he can play better and process the information quickly and understand what he is seeing, trust it to go out there and make the plays, he's going to sit on the bench. Uh, Nate Stupar beat, uh, is ahead of him now. And you saw Improved play with Nate, Stu- Nate Stupar out there. Robinson's playing well. Um, Ellaby, whenever so, he... Well, go ahead. So just just to clarify a bit, you're saying that not only is it, a, is it a shortcoming on Anthony's end, but to a certain extent, it's also the level of experience ahead of him as well. Well, you, you've got guys who aren't making mistakes. They may not be as talented as Anthony, but they're not making the mistakes. You can be as talented as anybody, but if you keep making mistakes out there, you can't. You're a liability now. You're not an asset. 
And that's why I say he's on the Mark Fields kind of learning curve. Because Mark Fields, when he came out of the NF in the NFL out of Washington back in 1995, he was a guy who could run, he could hit, he could do all the things, but he kept making fundamental mistakes with the defense. So it kept him off the field and made them, you know, kind of treat him to with special packages and so forth. Uh, just until he he got the mental part, because you take a guy like Sam Mills, for example, or Jonathan Vilma, who, yes, they had physical talent, but they were so much smarter than any of the other players out there. Sam Mills could read and call every play the Falcons were going to run back in 1994, okay? He knew every play and was calling them out. So he was at the spot it needed to be. Jonathan Vilma was the same way. Jonathan Vilma would take one look at the field, at the team he was playing against, and he knew, based on formations, based on tendencies, all these things, what they were going to do in this situation so he could put himself in position to cut that play off. If you know on third and three they like to run a trap play in the inside, then you know – that when the trap starts to form, you're waiting there. The blocker sails right by you, slip right behind the block, and bam, you got that guy down for a loss. That's the difference in professional football. Uh, and Anthony's not there yet. Anthony needs to sit in the film room for a while. In fact, he should be there 24-7 studying stuff. Read, and, and that's not negative. I mean, it, it takes time to learn these things. And, and I, I kind of blame Clemson for not pre preparing him for that. And you see with Vic Beasley, too. Vic Beasley in Atlanta is having a hard time learning the yeah. defense and getting positions to make plays. It, it's it, These are the things that you see coming out of college now. Um, because of the, the popularity of the spread offense, It's you see a lot of guys that are going to take a while to learn the position. They don't know... You don't have a Ricky Jackson coming out of the in the NFL anymore. Somebody who played both the run and the pass as a linebacker. You know, you're not seeing a Reggie White kind of guy. You're not seeing uh, those players coming out. What you're seeing is you're you're kind of rushing yourself, getting guys out there, and they may or may not make a team, or I mean, they may or may not uh, be ready to start in the beginning. People teams end up cutting them and they end up playing better somewhere else because they have to kind of get a feel for the game. And it's just the nature of college football right now. It's, it's a lot simpler than the NFL because of the spread offense, the way the field is set up, all that stuff. Okay. Um, got another question here from an, apparently anonymous source. Uh, <laughs> um, who do you guys like in the uh, the race for the Super Bowl this year so far, a quarter of the way through the season? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean... It, I'll give you a hint. For me, it's not Minnesota. It's not Minnesota for me either. I've seen that team before. Uh, I saw it from 1997 to uh, 1992. That was the team I saw. But go ahead. I, 
I, I'm not going to pick Minnesota because, to be quite honest with you, and I'm a huge, huge Oklahoma Sooner, uh, Sam Bradford fan, but the Minnesota Vikings are one uh, bone-rattling quarterback sack from oblivion. How many seasons has Sam Bradford finished healthy? I mean, that's that was my next, that's That was my very next statement. Yeah, you're one hit away I, from Sean I, Hill I, starting. I want so bad for this kid to be able to have the opportunity that he worked so hard for all those years. Uh, he's never, to my knowledge, he's never finished a season yet since being the number one pick. Um, I wish him all the best in the world, but uh, looking at the odds, the odds are against him, and they're therefore against the Minnesota Vikings as well. Um, right now, I don't think, to be totally honest, I don't think that there are, uh, any head and shoulders favorites out there. I, I like what Philadelphia is doing. I like what, uh, what Doug Peterson's been able to do with that team. I, as far as sustained success throughout a 17 week season, I, I don't, I don't really think that there's any way to accurately gauge that as of yet. Um, of course, you're going to have the, the usual suspects. Um, New England's going to be in the mix. Denver's going to be in the mix uh, by virtue of the, those uh, Denver's defense and New England just being New England. Uh, they're they're going to be considerations for that somewhere down along the line. Uh, as far as NFC teams, I think maybe just maybe one team. And Lord Lord, and who that nation, forgive me for saying this, but uh, I don't think you can sleep on the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, well, every Pre- team's got – Dak Prescott. Well, every team's got weaknesses Go right now. And it's, it's always going to be based on – how you finish, not how you start. Atlanta started five and zero. We beat them. They went. They go three and eight the rest of the season. And the Saints happened to the Saints in nineteen ninety three. The Saints started five and zero. Go to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh totally exposed to the Saints at three and eight. They're never the same franchise again. Um, you know the Giants. Uh, we destroy them in twenty eleven. I think in week eleven. Uh, on Sunday Night Football, we complete or Monday Night Football, we completely demolished that team. They ended up not only going to the Super Bowl but winning the Super Bowl. Uh, where Green Bay was like fifteen and one and was everybody's favorite to go, and they get beat in the uh, divisional round. So, I mean, it, it's all about how you finish. Um, to me, you know, Seattle is always going to be a threat because of that defense. Uh, although Russell Wilson's pretty beat up right now, um, I don't think Minnesota's going to. I think Minnesota can win ten to twelve games, but I don't think that defense and all, that limited offense can carry them into the playoffs. Uh, not having Adrian Peterson in the playoffs hurts a lot. If they had Peterson, sure. I'd probably be a little more confident. But um, you know, like I said, I've seen that Vikings kind of philosophy and it's um 
it was the Saints from 87 to 92. What did those teams do in the playoffs? Oh, and four. Um, Dallas, you know, their defense still has got problems. Um, sure. You know, they, they, um, they're playing well, but, you know, let's see what happens in when they start playing tougher teams. Are offenses that can match them for scoring and defenses that are a little more physical and can shut down the run and put it on, uh, put it on Dak Prescott and see what he can do. So I just think it's way too early to make any kind of predictions about anything. Um, I, I do too. Um, I, I really, like I said, a quarter of the way in, um, a lot of the teams that people were selecting as favorites to or locks to to make the playoffs or play in the Super Bowl, a lot of um, a lot of those are sitting right now at one and three. Um, and there's some that people said were uh, just soon be written off, uh, and they're sitting at zero and four. Uh, all things considered, I, I, the only thing that I'm certain of is it won't be Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Pittsburgh was built to go to the Super Bowl this year, and um, you know they've had their issues. They got handled. They got demolished by the uh, by the Eagles, and then a week later they go and take apart the Kansas City Chiefs. So, yeah, and, yeah it's, uh, come back to me after the three quarter mark, and we'll see yeah. where it all shakes out from there. And I'll make my prediction based on that, but. You know, how do you know. feel? How do you feel about the Saints uh, being, and I use this term loosely and sarcastically, uh, being gifted with this uh, week five bye? When I first saw the schedule, I didn't like it. Um, I would have liked to have had the bye around week eight or nine, um, just because I thought if we were going to make any kind of run. And this was, you know, before this was training camp era, you know, when your schedule first comes out. And I said, if they had any intentions of making any kind of run, then, you know, week, a week eight, a week nine by is a good time just to kind of get yeah. geared up for the final push. It helps right now because, you know, you should start seeing some players come back. Hopefully, Toronto Armstead will be back. Uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, Danelle Elby will make his rare cameo appearance of coming out and playing because when he's out there, you actually have a linebacker with sideline to sideline speed. You've got a linebacker who can blitz. You've got a linebacker who can make a difference out there, but he's never out there. I mean, he is, yeah. he, he is just that kind of, he's just that kind of linebacker you can't rely on. And you need him to play. Uh, I'm sorry. We just don't have the depth. We have nobody else who can play like him right now. Um, and he would be a great combination with Robinson right now. And I think Stu Parr too. Um, uh, you know, we need Rankins back because we need that push up the middle. You're already seeing Nick Fairley, um, the impact he's having in the three technique. Uh, Rankins is better than Fairley. Rankins is much better than Fairley. Uh, so imagine Rankins in the mix now. Now you suddenly have a 
a push up the middle. You have somebody who can take away those cutback runs. You've got somebody who can get in the quarterback's face and disrupt the passing. Um, I think it. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, fairly. If I if I read this correctly, uh, fairly graded out as one of the top performers at his position as the top performer at his position during week four. Correct. Well, he's he's playing. Yeah, it, it's true, and he's also the team leader in sacks with three. Um, you know, Cam Jordan's got two and a half, so he's the team leader with three sacks. Um, and this is somebody from who's basically a part-time player. Now he's a former first-round draft choice, so he is. This is not like you know, this is a big surprise. We never thought he had it in him. The difference is he seems to be playing for a contract. He seems to be wanting to stick with the Saints and and do well. Um, and that's an important thing because the knock on Fairley has always been that he's a he takes plays off. He's a hot and cold player. So, yeah. and then the other thing to keep in mind too is Rankins can play defensive end as well as defensive tackle. He is that flexible. So there are there are formations I can envision where you'll have Rankins, you know, Davidson, Fairley, and Jordan all out there at the same time, and suddenly now we have a pass rush. You know, absolutely. So it's. As these guys start coming back, we should start seeing some things. Now, fairly won't be, not fairly, uh, Rankins won't be back until probably week nine because even to take him off of IR in week six, they still have to wait two weeks um, for him to practice before they can actually activate him. So, you know, we're still looking at end of October, early no, first week of November before we see our first round draft pick. And uh, with Bro, you're probably going to see Bro since he's not on IR. He's just being deactivated each week. I saw he was running on a treadmill um, off his Instagram page. Um, when Bro comes back, you're back. If he comes back in great shape, which is hard to say, you're back to having somebody who's a shutdown corner. So that helps out your secondary. They're putting Von Bell in there now instead of uh, Jarius Bird. That's a good thing. Uh, Ken Crawley is clearly the better cornerback to Devontae Harris, who is sort of falling out of favor with the coaches after having a good preseason. Uh, he's now becoming a special teams guy and seeing very limited snaps on defense. And Sterling Moore and B, uh, B.W. Webb and, you know, you're, you're going to start seeing some of these guys coming back in here and starting to make – a difference and the defense won't look quite as bad as it was. And we only need a defense to make two or three stops a game. That's where we are right now. We need a defense who can make two or three key stops in a game and stop teams in the red zone. Make them settle for field goals. Do you agree that this offense has to score 30 points a game for this team to win? Um, we haven't. I mean, we scored 30 points against the Raiders. We didn't win. We scored 30 points against the Falcons. We didn't win. Um, you know, until you have a defense that can force more turnovers, I mean, B.W. Webb has the first interception of the season. Um, now, we do have some turnovers. We're plus one in the giveaway takeaway. But 
until you have a defense that can force turnovers and get off the field on third downs and force them to have, you know, a bad third down conversion rate. Yeah, you're going to have to score nearly in every possession. You have to score touchdowns on nearly every possession to win now. Um, I, I've, you know, I'm impressed that we here we are week five and we're still not complaining about the offensive line, um, which was the big concern yeah. in training camp. Um, and this is an offensive line that has seen our best tackle go down. You've seen um, questions at guard answered. Um, Streif for all and and, uh, and uh, Joey Evans for all the talk about how old they were, actually holding up and playing fairly yeah. well. Um, Turner's starting to get a little looks as the extra, you know, the third lineman. Um, you know, the big problem we still have is Lolito. He's the weak link. And as long as Pete's got to play a left tackle, um, you know, Lolito's out there and it's a, it's a hindrance. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a work in progress and that's how fans have to look at this team. Are they, are they becoming a better team? You know, a lot of people are upset because they're not the 2011 team. They're, they're not the 2013 team. They're not a team that is going out there and winning get the games they're, quote-unquote, supposed to win. Um, and I, my thing is I can't, you can't look at it this way right now. You have to look at this team for what they are, not what they were. What they are. Absolutely. They are a Absolutely. team full of rookies and second-year players. And guys are just trying to figure out identity, trying to figure out where all these pieces go together, okay, and execute. Um, they're like, Sean Payton's not as creative. Sean Payton's not as risky as he used to be. Well, because he doesn't have the veteran team that can go out there and execute those kind of plays like he used to. Um, you don't have Marcus Colston, who's been there for 10 years doing this stuff. You don't have a Lance Moore who, you know, Drew and yeah. Lance were on a certain wavelength, and they they just knew with a look, this is what I want you to run. You know, you, you don't have that kind of stuff. You're still trying to figure out all the pieces to, to fit together, and it's hard because fans are, and I'm impatient too. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about this. I'm tired of being, the same to me in a second-rate team. I'm ready for them to start winning too, but it's 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 a rebuilding work in progress. That's, it certainly that's is just where we are. And I, you know, like I said last week, I get the dysfunction, I get the mismanagement that everyone seems to be talking about. Um, obviously, topics of discussion when you're on a losing streak. I get all of that. Uh, I just don't for lack of a better way of putting it, I don't get why it's such a priority right now. The only thing that should be a priority right now, bye week, get healthy. The only thing that should be a priority for next week is Carolina Panthers win. Uh, uh, it, it, to me, it's obvious. I mean, I think this is why people in, in the win now mode. This we've had three out of four years. We've had three seven nine seasons. Um, Drew Brees is thirty seven years old, so he's a ticking time bomb. 
Okay, and I mean that in a, in the sense that he he is a guy that he's reaching the end of his career. How many more seasons are we going to have with him doing sure. this? And they're tired of the seven nine seasons. They want you know to win the NFC South again. They want a playoff game. They want all the things that you know we we should be expecting to get. Uh, they see a team like New England who seems to win year in and year out, and they wonder why why not us? Okay. Um, it, New England is the exception, not the rule. Most of the, most of the teams in the NFL um, go through down seasons. The Steelers went through down seasons before they have finally seemed to get over the hump. Um, you know, it's it's frustrating because you you you're we're beyond that case. We're beyond the, uh, the the level of patience now for a seventy nine team. They want. A ten and sixteen, so that's why you, you you're hearing all this stuff. Uh, and you look at the schedule; they want revenge against Seattle. They just want to they just want to go out there and, and puff their chest out and say, "Yeah, we can kick everybody's butts like we used to." Well, that's not going to happen with the team that we have right now. That's just not that's not grounded in reality. The reality no. is, we're going to get our wins, but they're going to be. Hard fought. They're going to be ground out. Uh, maybe uh, gifts such as what we had on Sunday. Uh, well, well, you know, and, and, here, and again, here we go. You know, but the fans are like, why do we have to rebuild? Why can't we just reload? You know, why, why are we not the team that, yeah, we lose a guy. He sucks when he goes to another team. And we just plug in somebody just as good, if not better, and they're doing the same thing that other player did. And, that you know, that's what they want to see. You know, you're still winning 11 games. But instead of having uh, – I got a post up here, the 2009 team. Instead of having Reggie Bush, Shockey, Colston, Henderson, Vilma, and Sharper, you've got um, Ingram, uh, uh, Fleener, uh, Cooks, uh, Thomas, um, Anthony, and Jordan. You know why isn't it? Why why aren't we winning uh, the Super Bowl Fifty One champions with these people? Because all we did was just swap them out, and it it doesn't work that way. It's not going to work this it way. Not in, not in the NFC South, and not in the NFC where it's that competitive. Because those other teams are working to win too. There's never in, in, and I'm a student of this game. And that's something that I take a great deal of pride in. Being a student of this game, I can honestly and sincerely tell you, there has never, in, as far back as I can remember, and before that, what I've seen and read about, there's never been the parity that there is in the league right now. You're right. You're right. So... The best thing that happened then on this bye week is players rest, get healthy, and come out and ready to make the big push to try and make this this four game gauntlet that we're going to go through, which doesn't seem quite as imposing as it did in the beginning of the season because of the problems Carolina has, because of the problems we've seen Kansas City have now. Uh, it's not quite as imposing. Let's try and make this at least a two and two season or three and one quarter. And turn the season around. 
uh, get these guys healthy. That's my expectations for the sure. bye week. Um, sure, and, and and mine as well. Uh, Kansas City is completely takeable. Uh, Carolina, as always, is completely takeable. I mean, a year ago they went fifteen and one and were the representatives for our conference in the Super Bowl, and we lost two games by a total of eight points, wasn't it? I don't only yeah, it might not have been eight points, it might have been four points. I have to go back and look. Uh, I know it was very it, close, it, both games. Um, it was one one point and or uh, two points and five points, something like that. Um, three points and five points. Uh, they beat us by a field goal at home, which is the second game, mm-hmm. um, and five points, I think, at their place. So, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. two games by eight points separated us from the uh, – And it goes down, and it went down, and it went down in two plays. The incompletion, the, the yeah. interception by, uh, by Norman against Cooks, and then the completion – of uh, on fourth down to Olsen where the ball touched the ground. But, you know, what do I know about, you know, incomplete passes? But, yeah, that's why I put in quotation marks the completion. <laughs> uh, you know, so both of them come down to the last play. Oh, I know. Speaking of which, we never even mentioned them because um, yeah, we have to wrap uh, up anyway. We want to thank Fan First Pro- uh, Productions for allowing us to insult them. Um <laughs> by making fun of their teams, the Carolina Panthers. Um, hey, guys, as always, if you, if you ever have a chance, uh, check out the Carolina Cat Chronicles. It's a uh, obviously a Carolina Panthers uh, podcast, but these guys are are the ones in their infinite wisdom that saw fit to sponsor us and and get us out there, and they they do a really good job. Covering their yes, they're doing. They're two good guys. They're, that's why I can I feel confident picking on them. Um, and yeah. also, as always, <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter under the dome. Uh, we're on Facebook under the dome. Uh, we're on iTunes. Um, we are everywhere. YouTube. Uh, you can find us. Um, and as always, look for us on Facebook and the New Orleans Saints group. Um, I give my overrated opinions on a lot of issues uh, on the Saints. So if you see something that you disagree with and you want to ask me a question, you know, a lot of things I'm talking about on here, I say on the New Orleans Saints group. Um, so in, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm 79 Saints on Twitter. You can come after me on that too. Um, and as always, get us on Under the Dome on Twitter. Uh, I think I named everybody. I'm not sure if I missed anything. I, I- I think you got pretty much everyone. I want to thank everybody for uh, for following us and and uh, being a part of what we're doing. It you'll never know the blessing that it is to us for you guys to be interested in the project that we have going. Uh, it, it means a whole lot to us, and we hope that uh, we give you everything that you need. Uh, we're always welcome the input that you guys supply to us uh hit us up let us know what you like what you didn't like uh let us know what it is that you expect to see and and we'll get do our best 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, next week um, we have no Saints game to talk about, so we'll be talking about the Carolina Panthers some more, uh, expounding on some of the things that we saw over the weekend uh, and how that impacts the Saints. Um, so join us next week for another exciting episode of Under the Dome. Uh, good night, everybody. Thank you, guys. <laughs>